Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all here. Um, so excited to be able to jump into this uh, sermon series as we're continuing Be Still. Um, if you're just joining with us, uh, we've been able to take the past two weeks to look at this Be Still series in the midst of a crazy season uh, with school starting back up and, and the fall starting to kick off and just a lot going on. The need for us to not just give in to the rat race around us, but for us to be able to slow down so we can actually run the right race with endurance. And so for us to be able to do that, we're, we're in the middle of this series. What I'd like to do, um, if you're taking along with your notes, the main points are on the back of the sermon notes uh, from this week, from um, the past two weeks, the notes are there. Uh, you can also follow along or be able to catch back up on um, palmerado.com slash messages uh, or Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Uh, welcome. So glad you're here. If, my, if we haven't met yet, my name is JP, and I would love to be able to meet you um, after our service, uh, mostly because it'd be awkward if you came up and met me now. That's the only reason. Another one. No, I'm just kidding. We're, uh, we're happy to be with you this morning. Let us dive in. Let us pray together. Go into God's word and see what he has for each and every one of us. Father, I thank you so much for each person that is in this room and those that are listening online later. Lord, we know that each and every person who hears my voice is deeply loved by you, that they're created and formed by you, Lord. And, and sometimes in the midst of the craziness around us and the hectic nature of our lives that we tend to forget how much you deeply love us. I pray that everyone knows that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved before they walk into this room and that they would know without a doubt why you have them here now. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, as we um, get jumping in and getting started off, last week, if you were here with us, we talked about the idea that last week was a big... Um, it was a why week, is why is it important for us to slow down? And we talked about margin and how over, overload or a life that is overloaded is a life that is so common um, within our current culture, but it's also a life that we are not meant to actually live. That instead, if overload is the disease of our time, that, that margin, the space in between our limits, when we're at the edge of ruin and disaster, that this space is where such beautiful things happen, like relationships with God, with people. Um, just the things that are really rich happen when we create space and margin within our limits. And so we think about this, and maybe some of you have seen this illustration before, but you think about this idea that we have these important things in our lives. We have relationships with God. We have relationships with people. We have different things that we know are really important in our lives. And we know if someone asked us, hey, what do you value? You know, these are some of the things that we might say. It's our time at work, our time with family, our time with God, whatever it may be, our time with friends. And yet what happens is so often is if you think about this as your week, what happens, and, and honestly, if you think about it as your life, is that there's all these big things, and we know they're important. We want them to be important. But we also recognize that there's all these little things that keep kind of creeping in, right? We start to see these things where, yeah, we have all these bills we have to pay. We have errands we have to run. We have homework we need to do. We have um, sports that we have to take our kids to, different extracurricular activities. We see our lives just getting so filled up with, yes, are they, they're important things, but they're little in comparison to the things that we say are the most important. And so we find ourselves so filled already with this that now if someone to say, hey, How's your time with God been recently? How, what is he speaking to you? And you think, well, my relationship with God, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I really do try to squeeze it in, but 
it, it gets a little tough because, you know, I have errands and bills and I have things going on. You know, have you realized how crazy it is with sports and how many days a week I have to be out? I mean, do you know how much is going on with gymnastics or with, or with band or whatever it is? All these extracurricular activities our kids are involved in. I mean, have you heard about how much is going on at work? And so we start to look at these things where a relationship with God, okay, we could, we could try to make that fit. And, you know, it, it's okay. But then what about time with people, time with friends, people that are really important to us? Okay, all right, well, we'll, we'll try to maybe squeeze that in and, and maybe we do that. But then you think about all these other things that are super valuable and there's no way that when we actually try to maneuver our lives, when we fill it up with these, again, not bad things, but little things in comparison, things that can overwhelm us, and we think about getting our chores done or we getting different things figured out first before we have time with God, before we have time for the people we love dearest and those who mean the most, that all of a sudden we have a life that now it's, I'm full, I'm busy, I'm exhausted, and yet we've not done enough to do the things we need to do to be still by setting aside time for that which is most important. And so what we could do is, and what we want to talk about today is being a how sermon, the next few weeks is being how sermons, is to take a different approach to it. That instead of trying to see, okay, let's look at our calendars, let's fill in all the things that need to get done that we just have to figure out, but instead let's think about the things that are most important to us, our family, our friends, our relationship with God, all these different things that in the end we know that they are what we value most so what would it look like if we put the things that we value most into our lives first? And then when everything else gets on top of that, yeah, there's still space to be able to get the things done that need to get done. Work still needs to happen. School work still needs to happen. Time for chores and keeping things around the house still need to happen. That it's not something that we ignore our responsibilities, but we just make sure that we prioritize the things that matter most. And so we look at this example today, and this comes from Franklin Covey, who's the seven habits of highly effective people. He talks about habit three is this idea of putting first things first. And he uses this exact illustration to talk about the big rocks in our lives rather than the small pebbles. And if we allow the small pebbles to dictate how we live, then we miss out on that which is most important. So for our purposes this morning, I was thinking about over the next couple weeks as we look at what does it mean to not just be still, but to live still and to live with this idea of stillness. And it reminded me of what, if we were to say, what are the two greatest commandments? What does Jesus tell us? We see it here in Matthew 22, that Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, that this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that for those of us who have trusted our lives to Jesus and we've given our lives to him, that if we were to say what's most important for us, what are the things that we should be prioritizing in our lives? What are the big rocks that we should be focusing on? We would say, well, we want to love God. We want to love people as we love ourselves. We want those people that we love to also know and love God. And so we look at these big rocks, these big important things, and yet, what are the first things that tend to go, even as believers, what are the first things that go when we get caught up in the world around us? It's our devotions with God, our time with him, our time with people that we want to have community together with those who know Jesus, and then even more so, our opportunities to reach out to people who don't know Jesus yet. 
because we're just too busy. We haven't set that side of time, that time aside, excuse me, and focus that, okay, we want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love people as ourselves, love our neighbor as ourselves, then we should make sure that we are prioritizing what that looks like in our week, in our day, in our lives. And so we're going to take with what's one of the biggest rocks that we could look at in regards to time-wise, what's going to take the biggest chunk of our week out if we were to focus on this, if we were to do something once a week that would be something that would help us grow in our relationship with God and connect with him and slow down. And the idea that we have today is we're talking about the most forgotten commandment is that we're talking about remembering the Sabbath. Remembering the Sabbath, and our main point today is that remembering the Sabbath gives us a proper understanding of the rhythm of activity and freedom from captivity. It gives us a proper understanding of the rhythm of activity. What's a healthy rhythm? Is it go, 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 crash? Or is there an ebb and a flow? Is there something where there's a reason why God has given us the ability to, we need to sleep all the time because there must be some balance between activity, doing things. We're not to be lazy or idle, but also the idea of resting. So what's the rhythm of activity we need to look at through the Sabbath? But then also the freedom from captivity, the freedom from feeling like we have to earn our worth by working so hard and be overburdened by it. So if you'll turn with me in uh, Exodus chapter 31, we're going to read verses 12 through 18 together. And this is all under uh, the, the header in your notes, why we should remember the Sabbath. I know we talked about this would be a how message, but I got to give some context and some foundation before we get to the how later on. So why we should remember the Sabbath. And, and for clarity's sake, some of you, when I say Sabbath, some of you are automatically saying, well, that can't happen. That's not possible. You haven't seen my schedule. You haven't seen what's going on. And, and, and I hear that. I do. I recognize that the idea of saying that there's a 24-hour period within your week that we are to set aside as holy to the Lord is a hard thing, especially in our culture, in which our performance is something that we find our value in, and something in which busyness and overload is a badge of honor rather than a symptom of the disease of our time like we talked about last week. I get it. And I wrestle with it too, but it's something that we've tried to do in our family. And, and we could ask Steph, we did it for about a year and a half, two years really well. And then once we started getting ready to move the past six months um, from Poway to Escondido, it just, it kind of fell to the wayside. And so we're starting to recalibrate. And so I'm preaching this message to myself as much as I'm sharing it with you. So why we should remember the Sabbath. Let's look here. The first note we want to put is that Sabbath was a sign that his people, that God's people were to be set apart. Verses, uh, Exodus 31, verse 12 and 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now this word holy, many, may, some of us may know, some of us may not. It doesn't mean perfection. It means set apart. It's this idea that we are set apart. Imagine how the Israelites, the, the people groups around them would see that who is this group that just doesn't do anything, that doesn't work for a 24-hour period. For them, it'd be sundown on Saturday to sundown on Sunday. So why, what, what, what is it that they would, or sorry, why is it that they would um, 
recognize that there's something different. They're set apart. There's something that's not, that stands out to them. Verse 13, what we have says that you must observe my Sabbaths. In the ESV, the translation, um, the English Standard Version, what it says is that above all else, recognizing that here in Exodus for context, that the previous several, several chapters were giving examples of how to, that God had spoken the Ten Commandments to Moses. God went up onto the mountain. God started giving him instructions for the tabernacle, how to build it, how to construct it. And then he goes in and talks about the different various laws, the various rules and various things that need to come up. And yet this is how he concludes it. He says, above all else, remember the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath. Why? Because it is a sign between us that you are different than the people around you. As the rat race runs around, you are different so that you could run the right race with perseverance and endurance. That we think of restaurants like Chick-fil-A and recognize that there are times where I really want Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, but what they do stands out because they close on a day to observe the Sabbath. They could make, could you imagine how much more money they would make to get the church crowd after a service across all of their different locations? Could you imagine? And yet it's a conscious choice to be able to say, we're set apart. We are different than other restaurants here because it's not just about the money. It's about delicious chicken sandwiches with advertisements with poor grammar. That's what it's about, guys. No, I'm just kidding. But we look here that Sabbath is a sign that his people were to be set apart. Let's continue on. The next part says that God took Sabbath rest extremely seriously. And here's the big part in your notes. And so should we. Let's see what he says, verses 14 through 18. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Yikes. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord, set apart for the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. There it is again. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come in a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. That many people think that the, the Sabbath is just, it's an Old Testament regulation. It's part of the old way of living. That, so we don't take it very seriously because we, we say things like, well, that's, that's, a, that's an Old Testament thing. That's for the Israelites only. And yet, we don't do that for any of the other Ten Commandments. We don't say, hey, you know that whole murder thing? That was actually just for the Old Testament. That's not for us anymore. That whole bearing false witness thing, the whole committing adultery thing, that whole keeping, like honoring the word of the Lord and the name of the Lord, that whole, you know, not having idols. Oh, that's just an Old Testament thing. No, no, no. Why is it that this is the most forgotten commandment? And forgotten is an intentional term because in Exodus 20, specifically, as we'll hit on in a couple moments, he says, remember the Sabbath. Almost as if he knows that we would be likely to forget. But he says this, this idea that we don't look at the Sabbath and say, well, that's just the Old Testament. You know, we're the New Testament now. Jesus, if he wanted to abolish the law, he could have abolished it. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. If Jesus wanted to say, hey, you know what? That's an Old Testament law that you don't need to worry about. He could have said things like, you know, hey, don't worry about the Sabbath anymore. Instead, he says that, that the Sabbath wasn't made for man, but man, or man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Mark 2, 26 and 27. So he 
It's just like with tithing, where he affirms it without pushing it too strongly. But here's the thing, the importance of the Sabbath, and it's something where we should take it seriously. I want to share a story many of you may know. Have you ever heard, uh, have, how many of you have watched the movie Chariots of Fire? Anyone seen Chariots of Fire? Okay, um, wonderful. If you haven't, I haven't, but I, I've heard about it. So, um, but Chariots of Fire is based off, so I should have lowered my hand when I said that. Um, Chariots of Fire is about the story of Eric Lydell, who was a Scottish-born um, child to missionaries, to Christian missionaries in China. By the age of nine, he grew up in China, and by the age of nine, he realized that he would someday want to go back to be a missionary just like his parents were. But before he ended up going back, he ended up, as you can tell here, he ended up becoming uh, just an incredible athlete. In fact, this picture is from the 1924 Olympics, and he was known, I mean, he was considered the fastest man alive, considered the one who was the favorite to win the 100-meter gold medal. Now, as you see here in this picture, you know, he was getting ready to race, but he discovered, he found out that because of the schedule of the Olympic qualifying heats for the 100-meter uh, race, they found out that one of them, that one of the qualifying heats was on a Sunday. And so he ends up saying, I, I cannot, I, I can't race. I, I want to honor the Sabbath. And he took it seriously, and yet he got mocked and ridiculed by the British press. That They made fun of him for his faith, saying he was too rigid in it. And, and he ended up, obviously, he didn't run the qualifying race, so he didn't make it, and someone else won the 100-meter gold. But what happened was that one of his teammates on the British uh, team ended up saying that he had a spot in the 400-meter and wanted to say, hey, Eric, why don't you run this instead? Now, Eric hadn't run the 400-meter, sorry, not relay, the 400-meter race before. And it's something that was a little bit more of a longer distance than he was used to, that even the Americans were mocking him for the fact of, you can't, there's no way you're going to be able to run. You don't have the heart for it. You gave up because of Sabbath. And so what ends up happening is that even though it was a longer event than he had run, as we'll see in this next picture, he won the gold medal. And it's this powerful story of how seriously he took it. And yet, do you want to know how many accolades and book deals and fame he got from it? Not much, because after he went, won the gold medal, he went back to China, became a missionary there, as he said, married a Canadian woman, they had their kids, and he knew that God had made him for a purpose. And one of his famous quotations from the movie is that, you know, God made me for a purpose, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. But running was not the only purpose for which he was made. He ran the good race. He ran as if to win the prize, not the prize of a gold medal at the 400-meter relay in 1924 Paris, but to run the race of faith and to bring other people who are far from God, nearer to God. And if that's how seriously we could take the Sabbath, that if he took it that seriously in order to withstand all the ridicule and mocking and recognizing that that which he had worked for could, could go by the wayside and all because he took it seriously. Now, in Exodus or 31, it talks about how whoever does work should die. Now, we at that point know, but here's the flip side of that. If we keep working and we don't take rest, we will surely die from exhaustion or being burned out. We will be worn down to the fact where we may not physically die right away, but our spirit and our heart will slowly fade. We won't finish well because we're trying to go, 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 and then we crash. 
So we must take this seriously, just as Eric Lydell did, but even more so just as the scripture tells us the Israelites were called to do that. As God's people, we were set apart, called out as holy, as a sign of trusting in God, and then in so doing, we take it seriously. Now, the main point we talked about, the idea of the rhythm of activity and the freedom from captivity. What I want to do is, in your notes now, we're looking at the rhythm of activity, the idea that we are created in the image of God who both works and rests. Notice that even in this passage, it talked about um, Exodus 31, verse 17, that for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That if God needs to rest, not because he's incapable, but because he's setting the standard for which we would live in his image. And so what I want to do is I want to have you look at, it's on the screens, we're going to look at Exodus 20, and then for our next point, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 5, both times in which the Ten Commandments are recorded, both times in which the Sabbath is the longest one with the most explanation. So if you'll turn your attention to the screens, it helps us to learn the rhythm of activity, how we, we are created an image of God who both works and rests. Turn your attentions to the screen. We're going to read Exodus 28 through 11. Some of this will sound familiar in Deuteronomy 5, but there will be one point that is specifically different. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That we see that the reason they give says, when they say, why are we doing this? For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh. That we are created in the image of a God who works and rests. Not because he tires. We talked about that last week in Isaiah 40, a couple weeks ago. But because he's establishing the rhythm of that we are called to work and rest Work and rest, just like the ebb of the flow of work and rest, the ebb and flow of the tides, work and rest, just like the rhythm of day and night, work and rest, work and rest. And yet, what do we do? We work, 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 crash. Then we take a vacation, which ends up just being more exhausting, and then we say we need a vacation from the vacation, which never happens because we just used all our vacation. Right? And we feel like we need a break from our break. But what would it look like if we broke from what the world told us and found this rhythm of work and rest, not once a year or twice a year in a vacation, but once a week for 24 hours to recognize that we're made in God's image. If God could rest and he holds the whole universe in the palm of our hand, in his hand, and yet he also knows the depths of our cries and everything going on in our lives, if that God can establish a day of rest and invite us into it, who are we to think the world revolves around our productivity and our performance and how many things we do? He rests. Not so can we, so should we to be invited to that time of rest with God. Pete Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality writes this, the essence of being in God's image is our ability, like God, to stop The word Sabbath just comes from this word of cutting or stopping. We imitate God by stopping our work 
and resting. We are made in his image. Let's take hold of that image rather than trying to fight against it. So the rhythm of activity, work, rest, work, rest, not work, 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 crash. We took hold of that on a once-a-week basis to remember the Sabbath, to remind us of the right rhythm of activity. How much more full will our lives be and how much more blessed would we be in those around us? The next point under there is this idea of not just the rhythm of activity, but freedom from captivity. And that comes to the other time in the, God, in the Bible, Deuteronomy 5, in which we see the Ten Commandments listed out. Here's what it says there, verses 12 through 15. Much of it will sound familiar, but notice where the difference is near the end. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. It's a different reasoning here, a different explanation than what we saw in Exodus 20. Exodus 20 says, hey, you're created in the image of a God who works for six and then he rested on the seventh. Here it talks about how we See, the freedom from captivity that God has brought us out of the slavery of being overworked. That in our culture that wants to overwork us and applauds and praises those who work 80, 90 hours in a week. There's an overworking, there's a captivity that happens because we think that our only way that we could find our identity is in by working more, producing more, being up all time, being busier, and we see busyness as a badge of honor rather than a symptom of the disease of our time. And why does it say in both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the idea to remember the Sabbath? Because it's almost as if God knew that we'd be prone to forget. And have this idea of saying, you were once slaves. You were once overworked. You were once unable to keep the Sabbath because of your taskmasters. And so because God had brought you out, Israelites, out of that slavery, remember the Sabbath, that you were no longer a slave to being overworked, and that you were no longer a slave to finding your identity in how well you did in your job, or how much you produced, or how well you performed. It's both. Both giving us the rhythm of activity, as well as freedom from that captivity of being overworked and finding our identity in that. So Leonard Dewan says it this way, to fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. That if we still think we have to do enough to perform well enough, to produce well enough for God to love us, we have missed the central tenet of the gospel. That it's not about what we can do, it's about what Jesus has already done. And if we in our culture try to earn it, then we're in danger of missing out on what God has for us, the rest that he has for us, the life that he has for us, the life within the margin where beautiful things happen between the margin of where we are and the limits to where we can be at the end of our limits. In that gap is where beautiful things happen if we were to just embrace 
the rhythm of activity and the freedom from captivity he's called us to have. Now, I did say this was going to be a, a, a how-to. So this last section of how to remember the Sabbath, that these are four different things. Now, I want to, I want to jump off and, and mention this, that for some of you, if you work five days a week and you have two days off, it talks about how God worked six days a week, right, and had one day uh, that he rested. And so for many of you, you may have five days a week, and that sixth day may be a day in which you set aside to do the work that needs to be done within your home or projects or bills or errands. And so it's one of those things where then it allows you to have that space to do the work ahead of time so you could rest when Sabbath time comes. And so what I want to do is, based on Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he gives four biblical aspects of how to remember the Sabbath. So I want to list these out for you quickly as we go through here. The first one is the idea of we stop. And when we stop, what we're doing is we embrace our limits. What that means is that we recognize we cannot do everything. Even if you're the leader of your company or you're the, you're the one who's the teacher in the classroom, I mean, whatever it is, you cannot do everything. You know why? Because you and I, we are not God. He's on the throne. We're not. And, and this big idea for us is for us to remember that in order to truly stop, to embrace our limits, that means we have to plan ahead what work needs to be done and how do I do it early enough so I can rest on this day. And so Steph and I, what we do is we have our Sabbath from Friday afternoon about 3.30, which we just started because that's when Shailen gets out of school, so she's not working. And then we do that from Friday around 3.30 to Saturday at 3.30. So what that means is that Friday morning is the day that we um, do all of our grocery shopping. It's a day that if we have bills that we pay, uh, we do that. If, if Steph hasn't done it during the week, it's a day that we kind of just get other things ready to go so that when that time comes, we're not thinking through all the work that needs to be done because we've already either done that work or we put it on a list so that we know what to do later. So then we rest that afternoon, and then we have time together or time with friends. This time we went to Bunko and had a great time with community, and, and that's not work. Why? Because we're being able to just enjoy and play games together. And so then we have Saturday morning, and, and we'd be able to just rest, sleep in a little bit. It's the only day that I have to just be home with my family in the morning without an alarm or somewhere to go. And so we slow down, we rest, and then we end up around 3.30. Whatever thing that had been on our list like yesterday, we started just tidying up the house once the Sabbath ended. Okay, we got to get some of this stuff cleaned up. And so we just set aside that time where laundry doesn't get folded. And that's okay. We remind ourselves that the core spiritual issue, seeing in, your, in the quote here from Pete Scazzaro, the core spiritual issue in stopping revolves around trust. Will God take care of us and our concerns if we obey him by stopping to keep the Sabbath? Because again, we think it's all upon us. We think that it's all within our own two hands to make it work. And because of that, we will do, we will work, 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 crash. Because we are not on the throne. God is. And he invites us. He commands us to Sabbath rest in Exodus, but he invites us to have that rest with him, to be still and know that he's God. And the beauty that comes with that relationship with him in the margins and we can actually be able to stop as opposed to the flow of the world around us. We stop. We stand out. We're set apart to be still with him. The next thing we do is we rest. 
And in this, we're not just embracing our limits, recognizing that we can't do it on our own. When we rest, we embrace God's image. We embrace the fact that, again, we are created in the image of God who both works and rest. We embrace that he made us that way. We're not robots that just keep going. We're not people that don't, that just keep going, going and produce and perform. He invites us to be in his image, to rest in the midst of that and the benefit that comes from it. There's a story of uh, a caravan of Christians who went to the Oregon Trail or who were traveling from St. Louis to go to Oregon. And, and part of this, this is that they started on their journey. And as part of their journey, they were going through autumn. They would rest on the Sabbath. And so they would rest on that, that day, and then they would go the other six days, and they would work, work, and they would push, and then they would stop and rest on the Sabbath. They would rest, their animals would rest, their families would rest. But what happened was is that fall started to come closer to winter. The part of the contingent of this caravan started to be concerned that we better get there fast enough because we don't want to be caught in the snowfall. We don't want to be caught before, um, away from where we need to be before winter truly starts with the snow. And so there became some tension within this caravan in which we got to keep going. Let's forget about the Sabbath. Let's just keep going. We have to make it in time. And the other side saying, no, we need to keep the Sabbath. And it became so contentious, and it became such a division of understanding of how to go about it, that the two caravans actually split. One ended up going all seven days of the week. One kept the Sabbath, and that one got there first. Because the rest that takes place on that Sabbath rested their animals, rested their families, rested the people that were there. So everyone had more rest in order to be able to exert that energy more fully, to work, to keep going the other six days of the week, as opposed to just going slowly, 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 and just kind of crashing, but just never having that time to rejuvenate. That we always are willing to recharge our phone several times a day, but we won't allow ourselves to recharge with God. And so we have this idea that resting allows us to experience so much more. So my Sabbath usually ends and usually, sorry, usually begins and ends with a nap. And so I, we have people talk, I remember Chris Brown, who was a professor over, or sorry, campus pastor over at APU, now he's over at North Coast, talked about how sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. And so he talked about how I'll, like, I'll rest usually on Friday afternoons, wake up, go get Shaylin from uh, school, and then on Saturday afternoons, I'll often rest, just take a nap, and then Sunday afternoons, I honestly take a nap too, because it is tiring talking this whole time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, I do nap. I'm not kidding. It's not tiring talking. Anyways, uh, but it's this idea of, it's, it's just resting. It's being still. It's being able to sleep. It's going to bed earlier. It's waking up without needing to rush. It's the idea of saying, maybe we don't go as fast or plan as many activities on these days. Maybe we just slow down, and then we rest once we've slowed. The next thing that we see is we stop, we rest. The third thing is we delight. This one's fun because it talks about how we can embrace God's creation, we can embrace other people, and we can embrace play. I love this. I had a, I had a professor at APU tell me, the Sabbath is a time to pray and to play. Do things that delight in you, so, or that delight you. So for me, I remember when we would, uh, when Shaylin was pretty young, probably a year and a half or so, we would walk down the street in our um, condo in Glendora, and we would go to a park nearby or go downtown, grab some coffee, whatever it may be. Um, she loves her coffee, not true. So we ended up going there, and as we're walking down the specific street, she would always want to stop 
because there were these beautiful, um, the birds of paradise flowers. She just loved them as a kid. She loved looking at them. And so we would stop and we would look at them. And for no reason, in my mind, I'm like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to hurry. We got to go. We got to go. I'm like, why? Like, we're not going anywhere. We have no time constraints. Why am I so naturally inclined to rushing rather than just being able to enjoy and delight in God's creation? We literally would take time to stop and smell the flowers as opposed to my normal life when I just speed on past the flowers and don't even acknowledge that they're there. That we can just stop and we can enjoy and delight in creation. Go to the beach. Go on a hike. Just be able to enjoy God's creation. Slow down to look at flowers along your way. I mean, whatever that looks like. But then we also embrace the opportunity to delight in relationships with people. That, that this is a time when you can have friends over for dinner or, or have um, or be, go over to friends' houses for dinner. Maybe this is the time in which you set aside that you have a family meal, not just one of these drive-by meals in which you say hi to each other briefly, but you just sit and you talk and you hear what's going on. You communicate, you build relationship over story and over a meal. I mean, whatever it is, you could delight in people. And then the other one is this idea of play, the idea of just being able to find those things that you love doing. Maybe it's playing games at a game night. Maybe it's being able to read a good book. Maybe it's going out to a concert. Maybe it's being able to just go on a hike by yourself or go and hang out with friends. Maybe it's being able to golf. And if that's you, let me know how that goes. And so it's one of those where you can find these things that fill you up. They don't have to be these holy things, but because God can allow us to just find these things that he's cause us to enjoy that Eric Liddell, who we talked about earlier, he talks about how I've been made for a purpose, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Where is it that you are enjoying how God has created you, and you are finding and feeling his pleasure in your life? So we can stop, we can rest, we can delight, and this last one is that we contemplate. Because if we do those other things, that could just be a day off. But Sabbath is not a day off. Sabbath is an invitation to dedicate a day wholly to the Lord, set apart to the Lord as a way to break from the freedom from captivity and as a way to acknowledge the rhythm of activity. And so we contemplate and we embrace his holiness, the fact that we have been set apart, just like the Sabbath is to be holy. We're set apart, that we're called to live lives differently than those around us. We're called to be a light in a dark place. But also we embrace his love, the fact that it reminds us how much he loves us. And it's not about what we do to earn his love. It's about what he's done and who he's created us to be. And so our family, what we just started doing two weeks ago, is um, something that a previous a pastor at my old church would do is where they would have a gratitude journal. That at the end of the week or once a week, they would write down every family member would just say something that they're grateful for and thankful for. And then we would pray over them. And so we're starting to establish that now once Shaylin started second grade so that we can have an established rhythm of, okay, we can go, we can be busy, but one of these nights that we're home together, we're going to stop and we're going to write down things we're grateful for. We're going to pray about them and thank God for them. And in the future, we'll be able to look back. And I can't wait for the time where we look at it in, in the future and be like, oh my gosh, Shaylin, remember we started this your first week of of your new school at second grade and how grateful you were for your new class. How amazing is it that God answers prayers? But if we slow down so much, or if we speed up too much and we don't stop to acknowledge those things, contemplate his love for us, it can be easy to forget how faithful he's been and just fret about how faithful he doesn't seem now.
So let's close with this. We have, uh, I want to share uh, an example or a kind of a closing illustration here that we've looked at all the reasons why to have Sabbath. We've looked at how we can do that by stopping, by resting, delighting, contemplating. But what's, how does this help us? And so what I want to give is picture uh, an illustration in which um, in, I read about in Canada and in some places in the Midwest that there can be blizzards that are so strong during the wintertime that it just becomes like the sky and everything. It's just, it's white out. Like you can't see where you're going. You can't see in front of you. And so what would happen is that there would be farmers or people that would need to be able to go to their barns and to be able to take care of the animals or to be able to do some things. And then what would happen is if the blizzard started coming and they weren't aware or it hadn't happened yet, if the blizzard happened, it may only be a short distance to their home, but it's all wide out. They don't know where they are. They could get circled and lost. And it's shared stories of people who would die at their back porch. And they were so close to home. But the blizzard around them caused them not to see where they needed to go. They didn't know the path home. And so what they talk about is how what would happen is that then, then people would tie a rope from their back porch and they would tie it to the barn. As they do that, they can grab hold of the rope. And when they get to the barn and they're able to be able to do what they need to do, even if a blizzard came, even if they couldn't see, they still would be able to hold fast to the rope and they'd make their way back home. It doesn't matter what was around them because they knew they could hold on to that rope and make their way back home. That they wouldn't have to worry about dying in the midst of the blizzard because they had something that they could hold on to. Pete Scazzaro, he says it this way, when it comes to Sabbath, he says, I'm convinced that nothing less than an understanding of Sabbath as a command from God, as well as an incredible invitation, will enable us to grab hold of the rope God offers us. That you and I, this is a modern example of when Peter is walking on water, when he was, had his eyes fixed on Jesus and the author and perfecter of his faith, he was able to walk on water. But when he saw the winds and the waves and got distracted, that's when he sank. In the same way, being able to recognize that there is a blizzard of activity around me. I don't know how I'm going to fit in everything in my life. There's so much busyness and craziness and performance-driven life that I cannot make it through. I don't know how to hold on, but all I can do is just do my best to take fast of that rope, that time with God that we can do once a week. Is Sabbath the only way to do it? No. But is it a beautiful invitation to do it with God? Yes. We could be still and know that he is God by holding fast rope and say, God, my week has been crazy. I have no idea what's going on. I don't understand where you're taking me. I can't see the road ahead of me. And yet knowing that you want me near you and close to you and holding fast to that truth is enough for me to take my next step. And my next step, the winds are swirling. God, I can't see anything but holding fast to the rope, coming back home to him. And that we can hold fast to the rope and that we can remember that through the calm and through the storm, we don't let go of the rope and God doesn't let go of us. That no matter what storm we are facing, no matter what trial you are experiencing, no matter what heartache is wrecking you, no matter what struggle is just bombarding you, no matter what pain you're trying to find in the affirmation of the world, no matter what it is, if we let the winds and the waves and the blizzard of the world tell us how to live and where to go, we'll end up dying 
so close to home, but far from God if we don't connect and have that time with him. So one thing we could do once a week is to remember the Sabbath. Remembering, that, remembering the Sabbath allows us to have a proper perspective and understanding of, tr- uh, of the rhythm of activity, the freedom from captivity. And we hold fast to God and we never let go because he never lets go of us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are, Lord. And I know that as we start talking about something like Sabbath, that it's just overwhelming and it's exhausting and it feels impossible, Lord. But we thank you that with you, things are possible. It takes work to be able to rest. And as confusing as that may be, Lord, we know it to be true. So God, I pray that as we've been talking about the why and the how, Lord, I pray that I pray for everyone who's sitting in this room or listening online later that it wouldn't be something where it's just, oh, that's just for professional Christians. But Lord, no, it's something that you call us to be able to have time with you to reject the culture and the pace of go, 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 crash. That you invite us to be freed from our captivity, Lord, because it is hard to praise you when we're still in chains. It's hard to lift up our hands when we're still bound. And so as we sang earlier that chains are broken and lives be healed, eyes be opened, that you are revealed. God, we thank you that you can break our chains from this captivity so that we can take hold of the life you have for us. That we can hold the rope and remember that through the calm and through the storm, you never let go of us. So may we cling tightly to you. We love you, Lord. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So on a Wednesday night to Thursday morning, uh, I ended up waking up at 3.30 a.m. on Thursday morning, and I proceeded to be up until 5 a.m. And I share this because, you know, as a pastor, when I wake up in the middle of the night, my first thought is, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Um, and I'm praying, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what is it that you want? And I'll pray that. It's usually not my first thought. Um, my first thought's, why am I awake? And I end up being awake and I'm trying to think about all the things I need to get done. I'm thinking about the ideas for the church or, or all these different things and I can't sleep. And yes, I get the fact that I'm talking about Sabbath rest and I'm up in the middle of the night thinking about what I need to do. So I get that there is a very timely illustration from the Lord. But I remember just saying, you know, God, what, what am I, what am I going to do? Or what am I, I'm praying. I'm still wide awake in the middle of the night. It's not like I went to bed quickly thereafter. And so I go where most of us go in times of need, Instagram. And um, that's not true. That's not what we should do. But I did it in the middle of the night. And what I found was a short sermon clip uh, from Pastor Levi Lusco from Fresh Life Church. And he's, it was a one minute and 15 second clip. And it was what I needed to hear. And I hope it's what you need to hear this morning as well. He was talking about, it's a short clip from a recent sermon when he talked about how Adam must have was created on the sixth day and God says, okay, it's the end of the day, go to sleep. And then he wakes up on the seventh day. He's like, now what do we do, God? And he says, rest. I've already done everything. You just get to, it's our day off today. And he says this, Levi said this, Adam shows up and his first responsibility is to rest in what God did that he wasn't even involved in. He didn't do the creation work of creation. He didn't put any of that together. He was able to rest in what he wasn't even involved in that God had done. And then this is what Levi Lesko says, and I want to bless you with it this morning. 
Welcome to the cross, everybody. Welcome to the cross if it's not about anything that we've done. It's the fact that we get to rest in what God has already done for us. And through that rest, we get to live the life he wants us to have. We get to be able to be a light in a place that is a dark and crooked generation. We could shine like stars and that we could live out the cross, not thinking we have to do something to earn his love, but that's what Jesus already did on the cross that allows us to experience that love. And if we take hold of that, well, then we'll rest easy and we'll be able to live differently. God bless you all. We cannot wait to continue this series next week. If you'd like prayer, I'll be forward if you want to uh, pray with people. Um, Otherwise, God bless you all. Have a great week. Go get lunch, but not at Chick-fil-A. It's closed. So God bless you all. We'll see you next week.